0: 3,278 people are serving life without the possibility of parole for nonviolent crimes. But these numbers actually underrepresent the true state of extreme sentencing in this country. Those numbers don't account for those who will die in prison because of sentences such as 350 years for a drug sale. Um, It also doesn't account for the many millions of lives ruined by excessive sentencing in this country as well.
1: And especially the impact of federal mandatory um, uh, minimum sentences. Could you talk about that and the efforts to try to roll back? Uh, some of those, uh, some of those laws.
0: Yeah, well, what we found was that over 80 percent of these sentences were mandatory, both in the federal system and in the states. Um, they're the direct consequence of laws passed over the 40-year war on drugs and tough-on-crime policies that included mandatory minimum sentencing laws, habitual offender laws in the states, and they tie judges' hands. And in case after case after case that I reviewed, the judge said from the bench, outraged, uh, would say, "I, I post." was the sentence as a citizen as a taxpayer as a judge I disagree with the sentence in this case but my hands are tied and one judge said when sentencing one man to life without parole for selling tiny quantities of crack over a period of just a couple of weeks he said this is a travesty it's just silly but I have no choice what if a judge said no the judges can't say no in fact i looked at cases where the judges tried to say no where the judge tried to find a legal loophole where prosecutors appealed repeatedly one man was sentenced to zero time in prison by a Louisiana judge for uh, threatening a cop while handcuffed in the back of a police cruiser. He was drunk, threatened him, was sentenced uh, initially to no time. The, ju- the prosecutor appealed senten- the sentence increased to 10 years. Prosecutor appealed to Ken. On the third appeal, it was increased to life without parole as a mandatory sentence because of his priors uh, dating back as much as 20 years earlier. Let's go to another case. Another person profiled in your report, in the ACLU reporter Sharonda Jones. She was sentenced to life for conspiracy to distribute crack cocaine when she was a 32-year-old mother with a 9-year-old daughter, no prior arrests. No drugs were found on her. But her supposed co-conspirators testified against her in exchange for reduced sentences. In this clip from the film The War on Drugs, she talks about being separated from her daughter.
2: My sister bring her a
1: visit, and every time she comes, it's hard. I feel like once a month, and to see her grow from a little beady baby to almost a grown woman, it's just like,
0: God, my dream is to just show up at her school. <laughs> I mean, I know they gave me life, but I
1: can't imagine not being at her graduation. A high school graduation.
0: I just can't imagine me not being there. Sharonda Jones, Jennifer, tell us more about her case. Well, Sharonda was caught up in a massive drug sweep in a majority-white town in Texas. Over 100 people were arrested, all of whom were black. Um, Chuck Norris participated in some of the arrests. Uh, Sharonda had no information to trade for a, a lenient, a more lenient sentence, and the judge was required to sentence her to life without parole. Objected to the sentence, but uh, so he they had, had no nothing choice. on her. They had nothing but one wiretap. Uh, what happened was a couple had been arrested on drug charges and began cooperating with the feds as confidential informants and from there uh, started implicating others in the community. They called Sharonda and said, hey, do you know where we can get some drugs? The wiretap caught Sharonda saying, let me see what I can do. That was the extent of the evidence against her, with the exception of testimony from these confidential informants and other co-conspirators. They never found any drugs on her. Uh, there were no even video surveillance of her with drugs. But she was sentenced to life without parole, a single mother. Her daughter, Clonesha, has been separated from her for many, many, many years. And Sharonda maintains a very close relationship with her daughter. She carefully apportions 300 minutes she's allowed to use per month for non-legal calls to call her daughter 10 minutes each day. When I talked to Sharonda on the phone, she's like, I got to go. I can't use up my minutes. I need to speak with my daughter. And uh, Sharonda, unfortunately, has no relief available. Her sentence is final, like those of everyone else we were profiling. Uh, they have really no chance of relief unless President Obama and Sharonda's case, because it's a federal case, or in the states when the governors use their executive clemency powers to reduce their sentence.
2: Welcome back to the Weekly Review. I'm joined here by Kevin Seaman. Kevin, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, Roman. Yes. And you have a show coming up called Femme Masculine. It's hashtag Femme Oh, excuse masculine. me. Sorry. Don't hashtag. forget that
3: hashtag. We're in a digital age, Roman.
2: Right. Hashtag Femme <laughs> Masculine. Yes. Yeah. So please tell us about the show. Yeah, sure. So this is the first
3: solo show that I've done. I've done a ton of shows here in the Bay Area over the last uh, 15 years that I've lived here. And this is my first solo show. It's debuting down at Brava Theater. We had our opening night last night. It was a ton of fun. Um, The show is really looking at the intersection of gender and sexuality amongst gay men. And really looking at that intersection. It's kind of a parable for... Uh, toxic masculinity and um, just kind of like living your best life in this digital age where it's easy to slip into a bunch of bullshit
2: yes (laughs) that is for sure yes absolutely yeah it's so i really appreciate queer artists who put their work out there it's i think having visibility is so important
3: Oh, yeah, I totally agree. Um, When I think, too, you know, for me, this show is really, it was such a labor of love, and it was many years in the making, um, because it was really changing my performance style for something that was more character-based, more silly, Mm -hmm. um, and comedy to something that was a little bit more authentic and vulnerable, which was very difficult for me as a performer.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what was the process like? Like to talk about that? Um, yeah, so
3: um, I I feel very fortunate to be supported by a huge team mm-hmm. of amazing local artists and even some folks that are working remotely um, throughout the whole thing. Uh, three years ago, I started working with John Calden, um, who wrote the script. Uh, we wrote the script together, uh, and that process was really just like talking about uh, stories of my life and. Um, Uh, just experiences that I had that like brought me up to this point. And over the years that the script really shifted and changed. Um, And I think not only is it this kind of like autobiographic piece, but I think the other piece of it too was really about um, taking kind of a queer lens to gay culture Mm -hmm. um, and looking at a lot of gay male culture and thinking about that in context of uh, gender studies of queer studies and really thinking about how we're looking at, um, some ideas that kind of get uplifted as like, uh, underground scenes, but then are kind of still conforming to and supporting patriarchy. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah, very much so. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think a bit about some of the dating apps, for instance. Is oh one, yeah. One One place.
3: Absolutely. So yeah, happens. we actually have um, one of my other collaborators, Jolene Ingo, has created a dating app specifically for the show. Oh wow! And so a lot of the action on the show deals with um, looking at this app. It's called The Man,
4: uh-huh. and
3: uh, it's it's a community for men. Oh gosh. Um, But really, it's just like we go through we go through having to. Um, fill out like a profile together and take a picture and, mm-hmm. um, go through kind of some, you know, th- the app isn't an actual v- app available. It's specifically made for the show really is a stand in for toxic masculinity, thinking yes. about how we conform to standards of, um, specifically like hyper-masculine gay, uh, male gaze, mm-hmm. and really thinking about how we change ourselves to fit in somewhere. Yes. Um, and then what happens like t- when we start con putting that conformity on other people that might be coming in later so really think about aging too and like being a younger um gay boy and really finding myself in a lot of internet websites and um in the show we talk about like the aol m from chat rooms we talk about Mm -hmm. gay.com and just kind of my own evolution in places but then also just really thinking about how how, after we learn how to conform to spaces so that we can fit in how are we forcing others to have to conform by not being our authentic selves
2: yeah wow that's that's, there's a lot right there. It's the comedy. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so important to talk about where yeah. I was in the, in the beginning of the show, I was speaking about just growing up in this country and how regardless of sometimes where we're raised or who we're raised by, yeah. it's still difficult not to take on some problematic behaviors and oh, yeah, attitudes absolutely. that's kind of either forced on us by mainstream culture yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah, there's um, there's a really great
3: video that we put together that um, uh, Jay Mason Buck, who's up in Seattle... Um, created that is about essentially the process of hazing that all mm-hmm. young boys go through just by virtue of watching media listening to their peers and like being a young boy in the world that there's so much conformity that that happens in order for boys to survive mm-hmm. that you have to like fit into mm-hmm. it um, and there's, there's this really amazing video that um, Mason created that kind of details that and just seeing it from all angles of TV and news and movies and then and how that gets played out in social structures as well.
2: Wow. Oh, oh, I I do sigh a lot on this. So. That's all right. Yeah, sigh away, Roman. I'm taking, you know, taking it in. And, oh goodness. Oh yeah. wow
3: but I mean I think the flip side of that too you know we spend a lot of time thinking about the like conformity for sexuality but then I think we reach a point in the show where that completely reverses and that's where my drag persona LOL McPherson comes out Mm -hmm. and really is kind of the antithesis to all of this hyper masculinity is the idea of hyper femininity yes Um, but then I think also trying to like take a look at some of drag culture about like appropriation from different communities um, the way that a lot of gay men when they do drag and mm-hmm. anyone can do drag. I, I truly believe that mm-hmm. drag performance is for everybody um, and it comes out with all these different kinds of expression but um, really thinking about how a lot of gay men when they're doing were performing drag as drag queens that Uh, A lot of self-deprecating behavior that can Mm. just seem self-referential actually isn't true because at the end of the day, you go home and you wash off your makeup, you wash off this feminine presence, and you're back to being, you know, a male-presenting person. And so what does it mean that you're, like, self-deprecating someone that you are, but then you're also not? Yes. Yeah. Wow. Um, and yeah, I think drag can be really problematic sometimes sure. if you're not thinking about how you're making the joke. I think just like any any type of comedy or any type right. of um, social parody or performance, that if you're not intentional in what you're doing, you can very easily uh, be extremely offensive. Definitely. And if your point is to be offensive, then you better know how and why you're being offensive, right?
2: And who you're offending. Absolutely.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that a lot of skirts by because there's not certain people in the room, and I think we have. To to hold ourselves to a higher um, accountability.
2: Yes, yeah. I'm thinking also just in terms of with, you know, being trans and like how yeah. the relation between trans and drag and then mm-hmm. how it intersects sometimes mm-hmm. and, and not...
3: Yeah, a previous show that I did um, with uh, Micah Sigourney, Vivian Forevermore, Honey Mahogany, and Dulce de Leche, we Mm -hmm. did a show that was called Daughters of a Riot, Mm -hmm. where we looked at a lot of San Francisco history, Mm -hmm. and specifically around the Compton's Cafeteria Riot, and um, how the Tenderloin in in the 60s was this area that, you you know, there weren't definitions or or delineations between... um, between queerness gayness trans identity like it was Mm -hmm. all just kind of bundled up all together and it's been um and so i think in those times it it was it i mean it was not as good for people because we've come so far with with lgbtq rights but it was more of it's in more of a togetherness at least from like my lens of like not having experienced it all Mm -hmm. um and so i think now as our communities continue to gain momentum and visibility that we have to be more in supportive of each other we have to be in dialogue with each other we have to really be listening to each other yes um a lot of people refer to like lgbtq as a community and it's so not true there's Mm -hmm. so many tiny little factions and um micro communities within that
2: yes definitely and folks have different experiences too based on identity so it's also crucial to to talk about that yeah
3: yeah I know a lot of trans folks that are super into drag that, Mm -hmm. like, found their their identity through drag. And then a lot of other people that think it's total misogyny. Mm -hmm. And I think both of those perspectives, or all perspectives, are totally valid. Right, right. Um, um, And I think that, you know, as a drag performer, I'll, I'll be the person to say, like, not all drag. But I'm like, I think there is a lot of it. Um, I think look at Hollow Eve on this season of Dragula. Have you seen the Boulet Brothers Dragula? No I haven't. It's awesome it's it's kind of like Drag Race but it's um, darker and weirder and messier uh, and Hollow Eve is um, a contestant on on this year's and uh, they during one makeup session called out a person for using the term fishy mm-hmm. um, to refer to their drag and it yeah. was this really great conversation where um, Hollow stated why it was not okay and why yeah. Yes. that term should not be used really yeah. thinking about, uh, this, like, I don't know, derogatory term for, um, female genitalia, not female, cis female genitalia. So n- no, mm. I'll say it was just like a type of genitalia. Vans. Yes. Yeah. A type of genitalia. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, but like that, it was so well yeah. received as well by, by the other person it was like, huh, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. And just, you know, the, this idea that like, by, uh, Uh, getting new information where you feel something's being taken away from you. Mm -hmm. To me, I've always been the type of person that like, if you're giving me feedback of something that's hurting you or something that I'm saying that makes you uncomfortable, like I wouldn't want to continue that. Right. And it might be something, if it's something that is very close to my heart, I have to like really think about it. Um, to me, I'm like, I use the word fag all the time. It's a word that I feel like I own. Mm -hmm. Um, um, or even like the word queer, a lot of older yeah. generations do not like that word. Right, right? So I'll tend to skirt away from <laughs> yeah, it with yeah. other people. But it's also something that's a piece of my identity and who yes. I am and that I won't strike from my vocabulary in a way that other words have yes. tried to weed out a little bit
2: more. Yeah, it's so interesting. And I also think about with younger folks coming out, coming up and how language does change and evolve oh, yeah. over time. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious as to how that will shift yeah. As we as we go on. And what words that we're using now will someone maybe listen to this episode years from now and be I like, Oh my gosh, I said. can't believe they said that or you know <laughs> who knows? Yeah, we did
3: um, we did a version of the show in New York in January, and there was a young person there, probably like eighteen or nineteen, who is non binary, and like after the show they raised their hand and they're like, Do we even need this show? Like this <gasps> conflict of like, do we need it? and I was mm-hmm. just like, I am I am so happy yeah. that you have yet to experience like people that that are like um, not okay with your non-binary like that like have no like it is so wonderful that Mm -hmm. we have younger generations that are growing up in a time where there's so much um, so many resources and services and so much available to support you but it's like uh, just a little bit ago and also right now too like the types of things that are happening to a lot of trans folks non-binary folks to queer folks that like um, I feel very fortunate to be in the bubble of San Francisco and mm-hmm. I know how hard it can be for people that are living in areas that are not super accepting of LGBTQ identities.
2: Yeah. Yes, definitely. I was thinking about, I was thinking about, I've got a lot of different like bubbles popping uh-huh. up over my head about where to go <laughs> in the conversation. And one thing would be just in terms of processing what mm-hmm. we have been, you know, I I feel like even recently I've been processing a few things that happened to me when I was like coming out as trans. What? Yeah like over 10 years ago that I'm still like memories of things that I experienced versus what things have happened to folks now, not to compare and contrast because everyone's experienced different, et cetera, et cetera. However, there is that need to kind of, I wasn't in a place to necessarily speak about what happened to me. Mm -hmm. And then later on when things feel a little bit safer, perhaps, or there's more stability then one can present it. So I'm also just curious as to with maybe I'm just, speaking more a stream of consciousness and less of a question this, this idea of when we can actually start speaking about our own experiences even if it's after the fact and maybe things have changed in a way right. since then so in a way it's like creating art is telling a story about maybe processing what has happened in the past so in a way it might seem at like anachronistic mm-hmm. however it is it does take time to really shape and share what we've been through yeah
3: it absolutely Ugh. does um and I think you know as, as part of this show I think one of the most critical supports for me through this show has been uh, mental health services that mm. I have received at queer life space which mm-hmm. is an amazing uh queer mental health community practice which sliding with sliding scale mm-hmm. um services And I think when I started this show, I was like, I don't know, I just feel, like, uncomfortable with my gender identity, so I'm Mm going to just start exploring it and write a show about it. And as I got deeper into it, the more that I realized that, like, there was just so much there that I had suppressed or forgotten about or, like, dissociated with. And it was really this process of creating this show while I was, like, uh, getting services through Queer Life Space that were, like, really hand-in-hand to actually help me get to the point of, like, self-acceptance and a lot of, like, relaxation around my gender fluidity and really be okay with that. Yeah. Um, But it's, to me, so I think synthesizing my life into a show mm-hmm. at the same time of plugging all of these different types of resources and ideas yeah. into it. One major influence of the show is bell hooks, uh, yes. the will to change men, masculinity and love, mm-hmm. which is a book that my therapist at career uh. is like, you're going to need to read this book. And then we're going to need to talk through it while you read it. And it really forced me to change my idea about the construct of masculinity and more so my own relationship with it as well.
2: Yeah. Something else I um, I also wanted to talk about was mm-hmm. just, um, you mentioned like in San Francisco, we live in a bubble, yeah. which is true. And also there still are, San Francisco does have like a ways to go in terms of. Oh yeah, of, absolutely. And I was hoping you'd be able to talk about a bit about like with the rideshare apps uh-huh. and how discrimination oh, that yeah, folks sure. had. And you're really instrumental in helping the dialogue around uh, homophobia and transphobia in terms yeah. of, folks not being able to access ride shares right. here in the Bay area. Yeah.
3: So in July, 2017, I was outside the stud and full mm-hmm. drag at three o'clock in the morning, um, and called for a lift that refused to pick me up. Um, and, Since that time, I've been working with the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, National Mm -hmm. Center for Lesbian Rights, Mm -hmm. um, to really meet with Lyft and try to come to an agreement about how we can help create more visibility for LGBTQ people, Mm -hmm. specifically trans, non-binary, and gender non-conforming people. Um, And I think the biggest... Um, agreement that we reached was mm-hmm. making sure that we're that we're going to have a um, report discrimination button within the app mm-hmm. that when that incident happened to me I had to click through to four different screens and oh. then just write an email about what had happened and to me that that if to not have the ability to report discrimination for a company mm-hmm. that I know values, um, diverse perspectives and wants to really make sure they're providing a welcome environment for everyone. Mm-hmm. It seems like a huge oversight. And yes. so I'm just, I'm really excited that we're going to be working with them, mm-hmm. um, to create that for everyone. Yeah. Um, I just saw an article today too, that had mentioned that, um, African-American, black, and LGBTQ folks often get uh, denied rides or skipped over by all rideshare companies. Yes,
2: yeah. yes, yeah. Uh,
3: so yeah. just, I think, to, to be able to report that, I think it's also sometimes so hard that, like, how can you... You know, if somebody just comes up and cancels on you, right. you don't specifically know the reason. Right, but right. But I remember I was... Um, I was, I went with a friend to Steamworks and when we, uh-huh. and we were getting a ride coming back and he put the location of Steamworks yes. and a car was coming and then it canceled and mm. another car was coming and it canceled. Wow. And so I think a lot of times that search function, when you know the place that you're at might yes. have some effect on someone that like a lot of people do choose not to pick us up.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's similar to what was happening with, you know, taxis too. Yeah. Like absolutely. it's not, it's not a new problem.
3: No. no. Not oh, at all. Yeah, well, but um, yeah, I you know I I just saw it as an opportunity that mm-hmm. like I, okay this not great thing happened to yeah. me. How can I just make the best of it to make mm-hmm. sure that this um, try to reduce the amount of times this could happen to other people. Right,
2: right. I appreciate that, and that's an important reminder for all the listeners out there that <laughs> we you know we can make change and yeah. Take action. Yeah, I think
3: it's it's you just have to take whatever changes right in front of you. it's like you know, not everything is going to be big and sweeping. And even the agreement that we reached with Lyft, it it wasn't the big sweeping change we want, but it was progress. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's so critical to like, it's not always going to be revolution. Sometimes it has to be incremental change. Right, and that doesn't mean that it's any less important.
2: Absolutely, and it will make it easier for more folks down the line eventually we'll get that revolution oh yeah oh yes (laughs) many of us are just on board. Yes, On yes. board, waiting for that. Yeah. So, um, so hashtag Femmasculine yeah, opened uh, last night. Last night. We had a yes. great show. Yes. And it's happening, again, tonight uh-huh. and the 5th, as well as next, the October 10th, 11th, and 12th. Yeah, yes. Yeah, we're running for two weeks down at mm-hmm.
3: Brava Theater Center. That's down at 24th and York. Mm-hmm. And we are in their brand new storefront cabaret space. Ooh. just super it's not cute. Yet. It's right out on the street. Oh, excellent. um, Space that they purchased about a decade ago. Okay. um, And then their executive director, Stacey Powers, has really been. Um, getting the organization of the last ten years on really solid financial footing and able to build out that new space that they had, mm-hmm. um, so it's it's really great to be in that space. Um, Margot Gomez had the first show in there, oh, yeah. so I just I feel so honored to be in the same space with folks like her, uh, Tina Dalia, Aegis yeah. um, Cooper, other other artists that are in residence at Brava.
2: Oh yeah, they yeah. always such great shows there, and I'm so grateful that the the space exists.
3: Me too. Yeah, but um. The show starts at eight o'clock. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Well, I guess Friday, Saturday this week, and then Thursday, mm-hmm. Friday, Saturday next week. If you want to come, I think the special family showing where I'm pretty sure, like my mom and sister are <gasps> flying in, oh. and I think my dad and stepmom might also be coming to the same show. So hopefully that will be a good one. I don't know, <laughs> but um, that's happening next Friday. Okay. And um, yeah, it's a super fun show. It's just about seventy five minutes. Um, I spend a lot of time on my phone. You're allowed to take pictures during the phone and be on it. I'm like, I'm like, if I have my phone on stage, I can't tell you not to have your phone out in <laughs> <laughs> But no, you should watch me. <laughs> <laughs> excellent. Yeah. Um, yeah. So come out for that. Uh, it's going to run for a couple of weeks, and then after that, we're just going to try to shop it around, maybe to see if we can get it touring around the country. Today.
2: Oh, that'd be excellent. Yeah. And also wanted to note that the uh, creative director is B. Thomas. Yes, who is Beatrice gonna...
3: Thomas, a a.k.a. Black Benatar, a.k.a. my work wife, Oh no, my work husband. I'm her work wife, forget.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yes, and and Beatrice was on the show, I believe, last year or the year before, Mm -hmm. so really grateful that
3: you all are collaborating. Absolutely. Beatrice is um, one of my favorite people to collaborate with. Mm -hmm. We've been working together on so many shows. We... um, Used to do uh, this cabaret that was about the intersection of commercialism and the occult, called Doctor Zabrowski's Hour of Power. Oh wow! Um, and then we did a one called Public Prophecy as well. Um, but Beatrice has been such a force for this show and kind of giving the whole production like a shape and a feel. Um, We've also been working with Ryan Marchand, who's a really amazing performer and uh, educator and community um, organizer. Um, He has been giving more, like, theatrical direction. Our technical director, Erica Socklauer-Shane, has been crushing it. We've got some great lights by Kathy Anderson. Uh, My partner, Derek Schmidt, did all of our music. Um, Yeah, and a zillion other collaborators, too. I don't want to forget anybody, but I'm sorry. Um, And, uh, yeah. Excellent. Well, very
2: much look forward to seeing it. Absolutely. I can't wait to come see. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to promote before we wrap up? Uh, I'm tired. That's about it. It's just this thing. I'm taking a nap. Got it. I (laughs) totally hear you. Well, Kevin, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Roman. Yeah, and hope to see you again here. All right. Sounds good. All right. Well, we'll take a bit of a music break, and this might take a, a moment to get all set up, and then afterwards, we'll be back with some more news. Stay tuned.
4: I'm in the with
2: Welcome back to the Weekly Review. Big thanks to Kevin Seaman for being on the show. Hashtag Femmasculine is playing at Brava Cabaret Theater tonight, which is October 4th, tomorrow, October 5th, as well as next Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the 10th through the 12th. I've got some more news for you. also like to provide ways that folks can take action. And I a constant reminder is that everyone has a voice. Everyone can make a difference etc so regardless of one's situation if you would like to make a change there are so many folks who are organizing right now and there is plenty of ways to get plugged in and one way i will share with you at the moment so october 3rd to 8th which is happening right now hashtag we remember days of awe and action for immigrant families and this is an email from the group Bend the Ark. And this is the first action of 5780 is with immigrant families. So Bend the Ark says, The days of awe are here. Between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, Bend the Ark leaders have events planned across the country to demand their members of Congress stop our government's cruelty against immigrant families. Today alone, Jews in Long Island, New York, Cleveland, Ohio, Los Angeles, and the Bay Area, California, are organizing to say, We remember and we demand action. Our week of action will be so much more powerful if every member of Congress hears from the Jewish community loud and clear, add to the chorus right now. And they provide a link where you can email your member of Congress, and they have a quick form, it's the Jewish New Year, hold ICE and CBP accountable for cruelty against immigrants. And I've shared this link on Twitter, at R-O-M-A-N-R-I-M-E-R, as well as our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash weeklyrev they say we remember the names of the children who have died in US custody we remember the families kept in cages without soap blankets or water we remember the screams of children whose parents were rounded up in raids this is a critical moment to contact your member of congress because the bigger excuse me the biggest fight on immigration this year will be over will be overfunding and the Trump administration thinks the public isn't paying attention. The administration is continuing to ask Congress for billions of dollars to escalate its cruelty against immigrant families and communities. But if thousands of us take action alongside our partners, Our partners, we can get Congress to stop them. That's why today through Sunday, Jewish leaders across the country are demanding their members of Congress cut funding to ICE and CBP and hold these agencies accountable to directly combat Trump. Ew, I said his name. And remove the resources that enable the violent enforcement of his immigration policies. Again, you can send an email to your member of Congress right now to demand accountability for cruelty against immigrant families this year, and they provide the link. As we reflect during these High Holy Days, we, and as we approach the anniversary of the shooting at the Tree of Life Synagogue, we know that the Trump administration's attacks on immigrants are rooted in the same white nationalism that has targeted the Jewish community, the Muslim community, indigenous folks, people of color, and people with disabilities. We know that the only way to win is to show up together in solidarity while you join us. So that is one way that folks can help out, sign this petition, share it with other folks as well, contact folks who are in Congress and get them to act. Next up, more events that folks can participate in. Here on the show, we are prison abolitionists, we believe that we can build a world without prisons and the idea of rehabilitating people and helping people instead of punishing people, especially when there are, when poverty is criminalized here in this country and how many folks, there's millions of people incarcerated. It's just, it's disgusting and it's fucking gross. And we did hear the, the story earlier on in the program from Democracy Now! And that was an interview from 2013 and things I'd imagine have only gotten worse as far as militarization has ramped up so there are some DAs who have been elected who do believe in reform and moving towards hopefully prison abolition and in the meantime recognizing how many folks are arrested for victimless crimes so one thing that folks can do to support folks who are incarcerated is to find pen pals to write to people can send books to people and one organization that helps connect folks is Black and Pink and they deal exclusively with LGBTQ folks who are incarcerated so there is the Flying Over Walls Prisoner Solidarity Project and Black and Pink, it's a they're located in many cities, so there may be a city where, maybe located in a city where you live. I know Chicago is one, here in the Bay Area, folks meet in many other cities as well. So regardless of where you are, hopefully you can tap in with a group that is local. And this is what they share. Autumn is here and we've got so many exciting opportunities for you to stay warm in the company of community this season. We're excited to tell you that they are currently planning I'm going to move this over so I can read the full email. The fourth round of queer and trans prison abolition study group for this coming January through June, 2020. This will be our second inside outside study group, meaning it will include both free world and, uh, excuse me. I need to get the screen to a size that I can read. There we go. Okay, this will be our second Inside Outside study group, meaning it will include both Free World and incarcerated members. We are in the process of recruiting 10 to 12 incarcerated folks who are interested in discussing the readings through pen pal letters, and each of them will be matched with an outside member of the study group. If you're interested in joining us, please read and then fill out the form. And they've emailed this to me, and I'm thinking about a way I can share this with you listeners out there. It's a Google Doc. And this is for the SF Bay Area Black and Pink 2020 Inside Outside Study Group. So, I think one way that folks could perhaps find this is if you sign up to get on the mailing list. So let me go to that first. So if you're not on the mailing list, you can subscribe. and. And or I'm just going to give the email address here, uh, lists.riseup.net. So if you want to email them and t- tell them that you're interested, that's one way to do it and find the link. There's also, they have a lot of letter writing news and events that are coming up. So community news and events, and this, again, is for the Bay Area. Monday, October 14th, uh, join... Survived and Punished, and TGIJP for Freedom California, a panel and letter writing event. And this is Join Us in a Conversation with a Panel of Criminalized Survivors and Learn How to Support the Fight Against Gender Violence and Criminalization. And I'm going to take a look at this link to share the location. And this is happening Monday, October 14th at the East Side Arts Alliance which is at 2277 International Boulevard in Oakland. Next up, Wednesday, October 16th. Save the date. Berkeley City College will be hosting a summit on the mental health impacts of mass incarceration, and our very own Casper, also of ABO Comics, will be speaking on a panel. Next, Friday, October 18th. The No New SF Jail Coalition is asking community members to come show their support at an important hearing on the closure of the jail at 850 Bryant. We are calling for a rapid closure of 850 Bryant without the opening or or renovation of any jail, transferring prisoners out of county, or an expansion of electronic monitoring. The hearing is scheduled for 10.30 a.m. at SF City Hall. More details to come. On Saturday, October 19th, we along, and again, this is black and pink, along with ABO Comics, will be at the R-Town SF Nonprofit Expo, the largest LGBTQ resource fair ever in San Francisco. Getting my announcer voice here. And again, it's October 19th, and that's at the Eureka Valley Recreation Center, which is at 100 Collingwood Street in San Francisco. Next up, Wednesday, October 23rd, join Initiate Justice for Bay Area Mail Night. This will be responding to mail from our members inside who have questions regarding current or past legislation, learning more about our policy work, and more. The event is open to anyone and everyone, excuse me. The event is open to everyone and dinner will be served. Please bring a laptop if you can. And let's see where this one's happening. And they have Facebook events for all of these. And that's happening at the Urban Strategies Council, which is at 1720 Broadway on the second floor in Oakland. Next up, Wednesday, October 30th, join a growing coalition of groups outside the California Corrections Department in a rally to expose hashtag MeToo behind bars. Hashtag MeToo Behind Bars is a campaign to expose how the prison system uses sexual and gender-based violence, including homophobia and transphobia, to target people who they incarcerate and whose daily lives they have almost total control over. For more details about the campaign and rally, they provide a link. And again, there's a Facebook invite. And that if you type in MeToo Behind Bars Rally... And that's hosted by the California Coalition for Women Prisoners and Young Women's Freedom Center. And that's happening Wednesday, October 30th from noon to 2 p.m. at the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. I am going to increase the font so I can read this. 1515 S Street in Sacramento. Again, California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation at 1515 S Street in Sacramento. Wednesday, October 30th from noon to 2 p.m. Okay, lots of events that folks can check out. So based on your schedule, your availability, your accessibility needs, what you have energy for, lots of different ways to show up. Uh, Please do get plugged in if you are able. And also, there's a new location, uh, TGIJP. They have a mail night every Tuesday from 4 to 8 p.m. at 1349 Mission Street. And they also have more info, and I believe that's the old center for uh, sex and culture. That was the yes, that was 1349 mission here in San Francisco. Uh, was the, yes, the old center for center for sex and culture. So, yes, please do check out Mail again. That's every Tuesday from 4 to 8 p.m. Okay, that is a lot of information, also. Oh, wait. Yes, there's more. Monthly letter writing in San Francisco. This happened last night at Wicked Grounds. And in Oakland on Monday, tw- Monday, October 21st from 6 to 8 p.m., folks will be meeting at Farley's Cafe at 33 Grand Avenue in Oakland near 19th Street, BART. And that is where you can write letters to folks as well as send postcards, for people's birthdays, and etc., and meet with community. Great. So, that is some more information. I oh, have a story that's, oh, diff- I mean, everything's difficult. Not everything, many things are difficult. There's an article from Common Dreams that was published in Truthout on October 2nd, and it's also crucial to talk about here on the show. Not necessarily, not a big fan, not a fan at all of Republicans, not a fan of most Democrats and those in positions of power cause a lot of harm, and that's kind of where we are. And as long as folks only care about protecting the wealthy and corporate interests, then we're all going to, it's going to be bad news. That's a a summary of where we're at. So when folks say that the only thing that people can do is vote, that's really short-sighted and be wrong. And I get that it's people's opinion. However, through history, it's been riots and strikes and protests that have changed the course of history and voting can work in a way of making it easier to organize depending on who's in a position of power and at the same time voting and can be rigged and if the folks who are running aren't necessarily folks who are looking out for people that's that's not a good sign so there were i remember shortly after 2016 folks were saying oh we'll just wait till 2020 and someone had mentioned in terms of all the deportations and the family separations which of course have been happening in this country since the very beginning the idea of someone you know, saying, hey, if your child was kidnapped, would you wait until 2020 to do something about it? So it's really, the idea is just to push people to act, to take action right now. And if this, if this was your family, would you just wait until the next election cycle? And it's not even just about waiting, but this idea that you're waiting for something to happen, for someone else to do something about it. And who's to say that those other folks who may or may not even get into office will necessarily even make things better? And want to encourage folks to take we can take action into our own hands, and people throughout history have done exactly that and have gotten things done. So this is something else that have you know the folks that refuse fascism have been saying from the very beginning. Many folks have been saying from the very beginning with fascism, it's it's not like you just vote people out. It's not a system that has any. There's no morals to it. There's no rules to it. People appoint themselves. And the what, the scariest part is that there are a lot of they have a lot of followers who are into committing violence. They already have committed violence, and that backed with you got the state violence, and then you have vigilante violence against many folks. And oh, there's that's my opening to this article. So again, this is from Jake Johnson. It was published October second uh, in Common Dreams as well as Truthout. Will Trump refuse to leave? We should be worried about this tweet. So fuckface, I try not to talk about him too much because I recognize he's just, It's the systems that are in place have gotten him to where he is. His racist asshole father was a landlord who, if he had been stopped, then, you know, it's this whole, just the system that's in place. So recognizing it's more than just this one person, and even once he's out of office, that doesn't necessarily mean that the system's going to fall apart. Even though it's it's just a... it's beyond one person, so I think that's what I'm trying to say is that he's representative of the whole system, and even if, even and when if he's out, other things need to be changed. That makes sense. Hope so. i'm Talking a lot of things out today. It's a bit explanatory. So moving along, he was talking about a coop and all this nonsense. Days after amplifying a right-wing pastor's warning of a quote-unquote civil war-like fracture if he is removed from office, President Fuckface, my words not the words of the article, late Tuesday said the impeachment inquiry launched by House Democrats is a coup, heightening fears that 45 could refuse to allow a peaceful transition of power. And also, I'm going to make a note, have there ever been peaceful transitions of power in one way or another? Things aren't even peaceful when there's not even a transition of power. Anyway. (sighs) I'm going to finish the sentence. Uh, uh, He could refuse uh, to allow a peaceful transition of power if he is ousted by Congress or defeated in 2020. Um, Then they quote him, and he's just talking about a lot of fucking nonsense observers reacted with alarm to 45's tweet and said that it should not be treated as a typical online outburst from the president this is ext- excuse me this is extremely dangerous matthew gertz senior fellow at media matter said pointing out that fox news hosts and contributors have been aggressively pushing the coup narrative in recent days 45's coup language isn't an errant presidential tweet Gertz added it's an official Trump my mouth feels so gross when I say his fucking name administration talking points that multiple top aides have rolled out on state TV today historian Angus Johnston asked in response to 45's tweet what happens when he tweets something like this the day after he loses re-election the orderly transfer of power in the US has always depended on the active cooperation of the outgoing president what happens if that cooperation is not forthcoming the answer the day-to-day answer for November and December 2020 and January 2021 isn't obvious. Johnson said, "Tweets like tonight's crank up the cost of breaking up of breaking with Trump. Ugh. Ugh. But they also underscore the fact that there's no guarantee that waiting, that waiting him out will be an effective alternate strategy. Concerns that 45 could resist leaving office if ousted by the constitutional process of impeachment or defeated in the 2020 election are not new. 45 has repeatedly suggested on Twitter and during campaign rallies that his term should be extended to compensate for the time, quote unquote, stolen by the Mueller investigation. This is not a drill. And there is no reason to believe 45 will go quietly if he is defeated, wrote The Intercept's Mehdi Hassan in a column in March. There is every reason, however, to believe he and his allies will incite hysteria and even violence. Those who assume otherwise haven't been paying attention. In the days since House Democrats formally began their impeachment inquiry last month, 45 has rapidly escalated his hysterical attacks on political opponents and the whistleblower who raised alarm about the president Fuckers, I can't even say the word, uh, call with Ukraine's leader. Last week, as Common Dreams reported, 45 suggested the person who provided information about 45's call with the Ukrainian president is a spy and traitor who should be executed. On Sunday, 45 warned of big consequences for the whistleblower, as the anonymous individual's lawyers said the president's attacks have put the person's safety at risk. On Monday, 45 asked whether Representative Adam Schiff, Democrat from California, chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, should be arrested for treason, a crime punishable by death. Following the president's coup tweet, Tuesday night—I can't believe I'm saying that. So gross. Okay, Trita Parsi, executive vice president of the Quincy Institute, said, The logical conclusion of this nonsensical statement is that the military should step in, save 45, and arrest 45's political opponents. Let that sink in, Parsi added yikes so again uh you can find this at truthout.org jake johnson is a staff writer for common dreams you can follow him on twitter at johnson jake p all right that was a lot of talking we're gonna be uh, finishing up the show in a little bit Uh, i'm gonna find some fun music to play maybe it's not fun but i'll play some music we'll be back in a bit right, going to go over a couple more things before we wrap up the show today. The story comes from Seattle, and of course there are patterns in many places here uh, in the the U.S., and this is about uh, fair enforcement and how uh, it's actually cheaper to not charge people to ride the train than it is to hire folks to be fair enforcers. There's an article in the Seattle Times that came out on October 4th, that's today, 2019, Seattle Times. Black passengers getting cited, punished disproportionately by sound transit fare enforcement. This was written by Heidi Groover. When fare enforcement officers board a Sound Transit train, they begin at either end and work their way toward the middle. One by one, passengers tap their ORCA cards on handheld devices or show their tickets to prove they've paid. But practice is designed—excuse me—the practice is designed to be unbiased, the agency says, a safeguard against potential profiling by officers. But Sound tra- Transit data shows this system is not preventing disproportionate punishment. While nine percent of people who ride light rail and sounder commuter trains are black or african-american 22 percent of riders are caught up in the fare enforcement system over the last four years were black according to rider surveys and enforcement data collected by sound transit for black riders the disproportionately, the the disproportionate the disproportionality grows as the punishment gets more severe from warnings to 124 dollars tickets to misdemeanor theft charges about half of riders who in the last four years faced a misdemeanor for failing to pay fair were black. They provide a chart of the demographics. <sighs> Disparities, both by race and by income, have led politicians and transit agencies across the country to rethink fair enforcement, sometimes pitting social and racial justice advocates against publicly funded agencies anxious to appear fiscally responsible. And... They also provide a survey where, if you're in Seattle, you can share your experience with Seattle, the Seattle region's fair enforcement system. At C- at Sound Transit, officials are aware of the disparities, but don't yet have an explanation or solution. Shocking. Some in the agency also say fair enforcement makes riders feel safer and therefore more likely to use the system. Uh, and they... Um, speak to a Sound Transit chief of staff, Rhonda Carter, who says, it's certainly troubling. It's troubling to see pretty starkly what looks like a disparity. But the numbers don't answer why people don't, didn't pay, Carter said. Was it a wayfinding issue? Was it, I literally don't have the money? Was it, I just forgot to tap for the third time this year? Sound Transit plans To survey riders later this year, critics say the existing data proves the system is failing. Some question whether a public transit system should be punishing people who can't afford to ride. When light rail was built through Seattle's Rainier Valley, we were told it's going to be an opportunity for people in our neighborhood to go downtown for jobs, an opportunity for enhancing our well-being, said Gregory Davis, managing strategist at the Rainier Beach Action Coalition, one of the dozens of organizations urging enforcement changes. What If what comes out of it is a fair enforcement policy that indebts our young people, that's the opposite of what we were told the benefit would be," Davis said. A small share of sound transit riders encounter fair enforcement each year, and fewer still are warned, cited, or charged. But disparities worsen with each step, with, each step, with black riders receiving 19% of warnings, 43% of tickets, and 57% of theft cases over four years. Riders who don't pay can get one warning and, if found guilty again within a year, a $124 ticket, a second ticket, then a misdemeanor charge. In May, the agency... Oops. I uh, clicked on uh, a chart here. Okay. Uh, 43% of tickets and 57% of theft cases over four years. Riders who don't pay can get one warning and if found again within a year a $124 ticket, a second ticket, and then a misdemeanor charge. In May, the agency quietly paused referring cases for misdemeanors. It's unclear if the agency will permanently stop those referrals. I'm going to take a moment, and there's like one There's some more paragraphs left, but I'm going to just stop and just say, hey, Jeff Bezos, who lives uh, close outside of Seattle, who's a billionaire, who could give all of the money to make Seattle transit free, not criminalize people who are unable to pay, he would still have more than enough money. So I just think about how backwards it is. I think about this in many situations where folks who are just struggling to get their basic needs met, that we have the resources as a country to to pay for. It's not unimaginable. It's possible. So many things are possible, yet greed prevents people from moving forward with that. Oh, goodness. Oh. I think I just talked myself into a, a sadness corner. Oh, goodness. There has to be something that is hopeful. In San Francisco, this isn't necessarily i um, hopeful, but I want to just share a few more things. Oh, I do like to try to end on a positive news story to get myself and all the listeners up, upbeat, happy about something good. Uh, but there are some just things I also wanted to mention that are not so happy. So there are folks in the Clinton Park area in San Francisco who fundraised over $4,000 to get boulders placed on the sidewalk because they didn't want unhoused people to exist. And then there's a battle between folks rolling those boulders off the sidewalk. It's also not only is it just incredibly classist and fucked up, but it's also a um, accessibility issue where folks can't navigate on the sidewalk. And so people, were, there was like people were moving it off the sidewalk, and then it's being pushed back on the sidewalk. And then DPW got involved, and these are also boulders that have been around for years, I think. So also DPW is involved with it, and it was just nonsense. And the the GoFundMe where these people who have 1000s They raise thousands of dollars and instead of saying, hey, let's raise thousands of dollars and maybe, like, how is a family pay people's rent for a month or two or feed people or provide access uh, to services for people, they instead decide to make life harder for people. And that's what what's it. It's just so fucking frustrating where it's – you recognize there's something that makes people uncomfortable and instead of trying to find ways to rehabilitate, to offer services, to help people – uh, they cause people cause more harm and that's the thing where even if you're like it's even better to like not do anything than it is in some of these situations and people who are actually causing harm like calling the cops on, on house people or causing sweeps taking people's possessions people who don't have much to begin with it's so frustrating Ugh. speaking of frustrating uh palantir has still not uh uh they're still Doing business with ICE. So tonight at 7 p.m., CCC, CCCC, 4Cs, four 4Cs, Bay Area. Uh, follow them on Twitter at CloseTheCampsBA. Call to action tonight 7 p.m. The Palo Alto BW Ball has not dropped Palantir Tech as a sponsor for their event. We cannot allow them to normalize Palantir and its cruelty. Palantir money is blood money. We need folks to flyer to attendees and let them know Palantir's crimes. I am retweeting this. Excuse me. I am retweeting this flyer on Twitter. Again, you can follow Close the Camps BA or me at R O M A N R I M E R. In Ecuador today, second day of a national strike against the president. This was shared by Joshua Potash, and that's J O S H U A P O T A S H. I will also share that. So around the world, protests are happening. There are some more in other places as well that I wanted to get to. Oh. I'm also reading on Mother Jones. The EPA just issued a notice of environmental violation in San Francisco after 45 claimed the city's large... Ugh, oh, Fuckers. And this is about uh, water pollution, even though I would suggest that it's uh, Chevron and perhaps the big companies here that are polluting the water more than... Uh, and all the fucking automobiles because they decided not to invest in public transit. Anyway. There's an article on motherjones.com if you'd like to read more about that. And... I am scrolling down to see if there's something else I can share that will end on a positive note. Because there are a lot of scary things happening, and a lot of frightening things that are happening, and also a lot of folks taking action, and I perhaps did not get to some of those stories this week. And I apologize. I also just want to encourage folks to donate to Chasa Bodine's campaign for district attorney to ensure that there is an election since the mayor has just decided to replace Gascon with Susie Loftus, who is running against Chasa. Oh, goodness. Whew. And, well, that might just be it. A lot of more things going on, but uh, it's one forty-three. I feel like I have spoken quite a bit. I have used my voice and, well, I am seeing from Alternate that the Democrats have roped Mike Pence into the impeachment inquiry of Trump. I hope they all fucking go. So I guess we'll take what we can get for there. Um, Big thanks to Kevin C. Mint for being on the show. Again, you can check out Kevin's show, hashtag Femme Masculine, at the Brava Cabaret Theater. For more info, go to brava.org. And that's, again, um, October 4th and 5th, the 10th through the 12th at 8 p.m. I think that's going to be it for me. Stay tuned to Mutiny Radio. Oh, I should plug the station. Hello. There's shows here every day of the week. Please listen in. Please donate to the station. We stay open based on dues. So please, please, please donate if you can. If you'd like to support the show in particular, You can do so if you go to patreon.com forward slash weekly rev. Thanks so much. And yeah, that's about it. I'm going to play some more music (laughs) for you all. Thanks again so much for listening. Have a good week and we'll be back next week. And taking a moment to choose the song. Sometimes eh, it takes me a while. So I'm going to see what I'm in the mood for. And in the meantime, I am going to speak. Super professional here. And what are we going to decide on? All right, here we go. Have a great week, everybody.
5: Let's watch a full length. Deja vu, I am once again on L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T.
1: How apropos, you thought you escaped, yet the status quo <laughs> remains week after week. You're on L-W-A-F-L-M-O. Uh, <laughs> see, nothing's changed. L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. Let's watch a full-length movie on YouTube. We watch a full-length movie with you, let us. And we want you to listen to the podcast and watch a full-length movie, a feature-length movie, on YouTube at the same time. Yeah. You want more information? The reason why we say the acronym at the start of the show is because that is the official name of our podcast. So if you'd like to subscribe as much as we want you to, go to L-W-A-L-F-M-O-Y-T. Why don't you make it an experience? We stream this show first on mutinyradio.fm uh, just go to that website, and you'll be directed to a live feed. You can cut and paste that feed into your streaming service, which is what I do on my podcast app, and you can listen to us every Sunday, 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time where I'm from, or 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time where Carl is from. Where I'm from, and make it a day. Yeah, that's where you're from. And uh, right before the show, of course, is a great show, "The Edge of Insanity" with Paul Brumbaugh. We just like to promote Paul Brumbaugh's show. We would like to promote Mutiny Radio with a go to Venmo and donate to at Mutiny Radio. We also have a great YouTube channel. Uh, I have to promote it, L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. Carl has taken previous movies, previous episodes, synced them up. Yeah, well worth a watch and a subscription. And we are, of course, on Facebook as Let's Watch a Full Night Movie on YouTube. Carl, what is the movie we're watching this week?
5: Okay, it is not a feature-length movie. It is the Castaways on Gilligan's Island. It's a TV show. Curse you for making me watch this! The Castaways on. <laughs>
1: <Gilligan's Island. laughs> Curse me! We haven't even started one second of this uh, hour. This 60, uh, 70 minute seventy-minute-long uh, full-length <laughs> movie, feature-length.
5: Be a theme. Movie. Uh, the channel we like is yeah. Mashfan seventy two, all one word. So it's you put in your YouTube search in right. the engine, the Castaways on Gilligan's Island. It's nineteen seventy nine. You put that in, and it's Mashfan seventy two. Hit the pause. By the way, we
1: hate all Mash fans. That show's way overrated.
5: <laughs> oh, do you think that's what they mean? Seventy two, probably.
1: Yeah, he was born in seventy two. His parents made him watch uh, Gen X television, mm-hmm. and he's a confused guy. <laughs> <laughs> about this this uh, television show, this movie is based on a television show. Uh, I just played the, I just went to the link. So, you know what, I'll, I'll save the speech, but go ahead, type in the Castaways on Gilligan's Island movie, and you'll get to MASHMAN 72's page. Click the link, hit pause, move the timer back to 000, which is I am trying to do here in real time at the Me Radio Studios. Right. and once you are ready we are going to count down and at the same time we're going to hit play and experience the castaways on gilligan's island at the same time uh so without further ado to kick off our countdown we please welcome the paul brumbot right, so let's get this it's started i am i am ready it was a live show we're very excited to have paul here as our countdown gentleman. let's get ready to brumba ladies and gentlemen uh, let's get ready to Okay, so, let's get ready to brumba. and now, what you've all been waiting for, Master of the Descending Numerals, the Countdown King himself. Would you please welcome Mr. Paul Brumbaugh? Alright guys, you know the drill. Put that finger right over that
5: triangle and do it in 3, 2, 1, go. TV show.
1: Not a movie TV show. So this is the same original 60s uh, intro, but yep. so this is the 79 movie. You see how young they look, right? But he's, but he's older now. Right. Oh, so this is the original. Uh, but the original cast is not in this TV movie, right? There's one guy got replaced. Jin got replaced.
5: The rest of them, it's legit.
1: The rest were like, the money's fine. The money's fine. I'll take it not like Russell Johnson's being asked to reprise any '50s sci-fi movies. Here they are. There's the true star, the fucking asshole boat that killed them all. <laughs> so he's older now, Bob Denver. Alan Hale, no longer a junior. Jim Backus, the greatest actor ever. Natalie Schaefer, the professor's wife. Ooh, also introducing Judith Baldwin as the replacement. Russell Johnson. And good old Don Wells, who probably has the best head on her shoulders from the castaways. on day Yeah, day. yeah, she does. Now you look, So this TV show was on during the 60s on CBS, but the popularity of the syndication for the next two decades, uh, they started doing new projects on other networks. So this is a, there's a cartoon show on NBC. There was mm-hmm. a Gilligan's Planet as well. There was like a 70s cartoon and an 80s cartoon. And then they started making TV movies. Well, you know this, Carl. I made you watch this and research this.
5: Yeah, that's right, and you're nailing it. Um, And what's interesting to me is that this was a show on CBS, and what we're watching right now is on NBC. I bet you there was some scandal, like, you know, no way are we doing Gilligan's Isle again. Fine, I'll go to NBC. Will you just do that then?
1: This is our generation's Breaking Bad spin-off on Netflix. Uh, you know, they're like, why don't you show it on AMC first? No, no, just that important story about Jesse has to be aired on on Netflix. So important. It's so important to add 90 more minutes of fucking Breaking Bad. Thank I you, Netflix.
5: I enjoyed that, but, but you're right. It was unnecessary. I enjoyed it just because it was nostalgic. Is that the word? It's a little too young to be nostalgic, but uh... –
1: yeah, back when the time that show was still on the air. I mean, it was all well acted and well done, but it's just whatever. I don't – it's – Netflix is so disposable, I've discovered in in, uh, in quarantine, where you go, whoa, there's a new Will Ferrell movie. All right, I, I'm going to watch it. I watched it. Now I don't have to ever think about it ever again. Yeah. And, you
5: know what I mean? Like Quality level. But guess – check this out, Mike. This is pretty cool. Uh my sons are into breaking bad the littlest one just because the older ones are they they don't even you know understand yes, it but uh, by the way full disclosure one is 20 and one is 18 okay i'm not raising uh seven-year-olds watching uh you know uh crystal meth shows. <laughs> okay so they insist they go to the movie theater and watch this this was we saw this in new york and yonkers on the silver
1: screen Breaking Bad.
5: Yeah, well, I mean, this new, what was the new one? El Camino, is that what it's called?
1: Yeah, right, El Camino.
5: All right, we're missing the movie. We're missing the movie. Now, what's happening here is they had a tropical storm from the last reunion show. It washed them back onto the island, but now the hurricane made all of the fresh water salt water. Uh, So they have no water to drink, so they're trying to figure a way to dig wells. Right. Oh, Dunwells. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, he sits on the golf cart. Now listen, I got to tell you all this whole stuff it's not funny. It's not funny. Uh the the professor getting uh you know, the skipper getting bonked in the head, Gilligan saying stupid stuff. Now the professor's got Are you saying way- that you thought it was funny? No, it was not. Yeah, funny. go ahead. The professor's got the radio fixed, and now they're learning that they're calling off the search for the Minnow 2 because uh, they're, you know, they just think the castaways are dead. Ho,
1: ho. Oh, that's a bummer way to start. The, it's
5: the worst morning show ever. <laughs> now, Gilligan is the one that got them shipwrecked a second time, of course, so they're all giving them shit right now.
1: Yeah. So, the Minnow 2, so the first TV movie, they left the island and they left on a newly christian minnow too and then the same thing happened as the minnow one exactly right they got blown back
5: okay so now gilligan's moping around but he's discovered something this show is so stupid mike curse you curse you (laughs) he's found a propeller Uh okay and an engine oh great gosh propeller (laughs) could it be a plane
1: It's a tit! Oh, it's not. It's an extra. Ooh. <laughs> I thought it would be something extraordinary, but it's just a plane. It's a tit. Now, wow. when
5: did they not find this three years on the island, you know?
1: Just, well, no, no, no. It landed the three hours trip to, take, to go back to civilization on the Minnow 2. Uh, during that time span, uh, well, I guess you're right. Yeah, three seasons. It never knew there was a fucking plane on the island right it was he's
5: right now the professor's like it was overgrown by the jungle
1: russell simmons uh, russell simmons russell uh johnson yeah the professor he's like my favorite
4: oh
5: okay because
1: he's in a lot of b-movies did you yeah. know
5: that he, he
1: was out. a serious ass
5: pilot in uh world war Two?
1: Interesting. Yeah. So this must be easy. This must be therapy. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is your captain. We've got great clear flying conditions today. We'll go up to 30,000 feet and cruise there for about an hour ahead. So other than that, just sit back, relax, enjoy your flight. We should arrive in about an hour and a half. This then is stereophonic sound. Thank you. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is your captain. We've got great clear flying conditions today. We'll go up to 30,000 feet and cruise there for about an hour at. So other than that, just sit back, relax, enjoy your flight, and we should arrive in about an hour and a half. This, then, is stereophonic sound.